Morning, church. My name is Corey Ogborn. I'm the pastor of missions and young adults. It is a privilege to be here with you this morning. Our young adult ministry is called Satellite. <laughs> Our young adult ministry is called Satellite. And in Satellite, I like to do what I call a little ministry maintenance from time to time. And so we're going to do a little housekeeping this morning. I'm going to start by telling you that John and Shelly, Pastor John and Shelly, are back from vacation. And we'll be back in the office tomorrow and back in the pulpit next week. Uh, they had a great time away, a good time of rest and relaxation. If you have been praying for them, thank you so much that you prayed for their restoration during this time. They had a good time away, just the two of them together. So thank you for blessing them and praying for them. They will be back. Uh, also, um, another thing I wanted to mention is you walked up this morning, you probably saw the grounds. I was just amazed. I came down here last night, and right at sunset, just the beauty of our church campus. I was amazed as I walked up, the flowers in bloom, the green grass. Our deacons of our church work really hard. Uh, throughout the history of our church, we've had a lot of deacon boards that have worked really, really hard. This is a deacon board that is working really, really hard. Even on Wednesday night, late, they were at the office building down the street, uh, moving bark and preparing to hydro seed is, I believe, what they call it. Our deacon board is working really, really hard. The last thing, and this involves you a little bit, it's going to be a little interactive. If you are in here and you recently graduated from the sixth grade, I don't know if we'll get many sixth grade graduates in here. I see a few older people trying to stand up. It's not six. The number six, I wish I could put it on the board. It's not six. Sixth grade, no, sixth grade graduates, congratulate them when you see them. If you're in here and you recently graduated from the eighth grade, would you stand up? We're going to save all of our applause till the end, so you're not going to get embarrassed. So no eighth grade graduates in here either. Interesting. Okay, now this is where it gets real, because I hear it's a really big class, but the seniors in high school that will be, have graduated or will be graduating this week, will you stand up? There's a lot of them, okay? Stay standing, stay standing for me. Yeah. My people came down and sat right behind me this morning. They said, you know, high school, we had our senior Sunday, we're done, now we're part of satellite, we're gonna sit right here. Good, thank you, thanks for the support, I appreciate it. Uh, there's one more group I wanna recognize. If you recently uh, completed classes at COS and you're transferring, or if you graduated from COS with a degree or any other university, yes, even if you're my age and you completed a degree at the university level, please stand up. We wanna recognize you guys this morning. Let's recognize their hard work and accomplishment. Maybe remember one or two of those faces so that you can be praying for them in this next part of their journey. You guys can have a seat. This is my third time this year getting to having the privilege of being up here, and I really, really appreciate uh, being able to share what God's been placing on my heart. As I shared last time, I, the last two times, I read Malachi for an Old Testament class, and it really changed me in a big way. Um, it really challenged me to embrace the Old Testament differently. And so this morning, we're going to continue that series that I did recently, Malachi 1. You will remember uh, the breaking of covenant by lame sacrifices, by offering lame sacrifices. Remember, you are 
a living sacrifice of praise for God this morning. That's what you bring to the altar this morning. Hopefully you've been working on that in your personal life. The second message out of Malachi was breaking covenant by divorce. Many of you reached out to me after that message and told me how it touched you, uh, how your life had been impacted by divorce. I have a word for you this morning. Continue to share your story with people around you. Continue to be bold and brave and talk about how it affected you. There are people listening that need to hear it. And you could change their life just by sharing um, what's going on in yours. And this morning, we are in Malachi 3, but we're going to start in 2.17, so we're going to go back just a little bit. So starting in Malachi 2.17, let me read that for you. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, Where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. So there is this question of justice, the breaking of covenant through injustice. And here we read that the people had wearied the Lord by questioning his justice and whether he was committed to punishing wickedness and rewarding righteousness. At this time, they did not see judging their enemies. They did not see God judging their enemies or blessing them. And they were questioning him for it. The Lord promised that he would decisively intervene at a future time. That he would purge evil from his people. And the people were anticipating the Lord's acting in justice, but will actually be overwhelmed when the judgment happens. So we read here the Lord would send a messenger to prepare the way for his coming. And the fact that Malachi's name means my messenger indicates that his ministry prefigures the role of this future spokesman for God. The New Testament identifies this messenger as John the Baptist, who, as the messianic forerunner, prepared the people for the coming of Jesus. You could read that if you're taking notes, write this down. You could read that in Matthew 11.10, Mark 1.2 or Luke 7, 27. When the Lord comes to his temple, his judgment will be like cleansing soap and refining fire. And he will purge evil from the priests, and he will purify Israel's worship. The Lord will judge all those who commit the religious sin of sorcery, the, the social sin of divorce, and the violent, yes, violent sin of oppression of the poor. So before the exile, prophets preached against social injustices. And this was still an issue after the exile in that community. 
As the governor of Judah at this time, Nehemiah had to take steps to deal with oppressing the poor and charging exorbitant interest during a time of famine. If you're interested in that story, it's a great thing to read this week, Nehemiah 5. The people complained that they were not receiving justice from the Lord, but in reality, they were not practicing justice toward one another. As I look at our verses this morning in Matthew, I see that injustice is still a problem. I see that socially people are still struggling in those areas. And the difference between Malachi and Matthew, yes, it's several hundred years, but it's a few turns of the pages of our Bible, but it is still a problem a few hundred years later. I fast forward a couple thousand years later and I look at our community I look at our world that we live in. I look at, yes, these United States of America, and I see that it is still a problem. And it's not just a problem outside these walls, church. It's a problem with the people inside these walls as well. We are God's means for dealing with human need. So I want to fast forward just a little bit so you can turn to Matthew 12. We're going to be there in just a moment. But I also want to look at today's culture. Many creeds, pledges, and mottos have shaped our country and culture as well as its individual citizens. You may not know it, but you have been shaped by some of the things that we hear on a consistent basis. In many instances, the words convey uplifting and presumably timeless messages. They've been embedded into our psyche. They play an important role in creating an identity for our culture and for us as individuals a consciousness, if you will, or an ethos. Often the words have been taken for granted. Yet the very fact that the words have been taken for granted, that's significant as well. It shows we have subconsciously assimilated them. It means the words we live by operate behind the scenes as a moral compass or a driving force in our lives. Many of these words are inscribed on buildings and national monuments. Most of these buildings still stand. And yes, my friends, a few of them still stand for something. As I looked at these, I picked out a couple to share with you these mor- this morning. This one is really good. The Commonwealth requires the education of the people as the safeguard of order and liberty. That's inscribed on the public library in Boston. So many times we think violence. We think force. We think military is what protects our religious freedoms, but education is important. Education protects those, safeguards those things. The second, let us see that the state is the servant of its people and that the people are not the servants of the state. This is inscribed on the Robert A. Taft Memorial in Washington, D.C. As I watch the television each day and I see people talking to me through the television, I think a few of those people need to kind of walk by the Robert A. Taft Memorial in Washington and read those words and remember them. I laugh at this one a little bit, although it's not funny, uh, but we have problems with our mail, so it's funny to me. Neither snow nor rain nor heat nor gloom of night stays these couriers from the swift completion of their appointed rounds. That's inscribed on the U.S. Post Office in New York. 
Uh, it says nothing about the 5 p.m. time clock, though. Uh, they do punch that pretty quickly and get out of there. So if you're a mail carrier, I'm sure you don't deliver to our house, so I'm sure you're doing a great job. I don't want to offend anybody this morning, but our house, it's, it is a mess. So if you could talk to anybody, if you're a mail carrier, you could talk to anybody on our behalf. That would be great. So all these are very local, state, or federal, but they can and they should illuminate the word of God for the believer. So this morning, I'm going to read Matthew 12, starting in verse 1 and going through verse 8. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and, and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. I'm just going to pause there for a moment. That gives me goosebumps to read. He's, Jesus is speaking to them. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. There's one more sonnet I want to read to you. And you may recognize it, you may not. Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame, with conquering limbs astride from land to land, here at our sea-washed sunset gates shall stand a mighty woman with a torch, whose flame is the imprisoned lightning, and her name mother of exiles. From her beaconed hand glows worldwide welcome. Her mild eyes command the air-bridged harbor that twin cities frame. Keep, ancient lands, your storied pomp, cries she with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. You know what it is, right? These, these words are on a plaque mounted in the Statue of Liberty Museum. Few Americans know the entire sonnet or even the precise statement of its most famous line, but everyone knows what it stands for. It's hard, to it's hard to imagine a United States of America without it. I think Jesus would find it hard to imagine a church that did not know and operate from the mo most famous line of this speech in Matthew 12, 1 through 8. I, I want you to listen to it again. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Incredible words. Incredible words. These words reveal the very heart of God. Three times God speaks these words in Scripture. Here, back in Matthew 9, 13, and hundreds of years earlier in Hosea. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Hosea 6, 6. I wonder how many times God has to tell us something before we think it's important, before we realize it's important. I want to tell you this morning that for me, three times is enough. 
three times means that we need to learn from this. Once is really enough, but if he says it three times, I want to learn something. Three times God tells us that he wants us to be compassionate to humankind, to help, not judge, rescue, not condemn, to get involved, and not make excuses. God sees human need as an urgent priority. His call to minister to the marginalized cannot, should not, and will not be marginalized. His call to compassion, it can't be overlooked, it can't be watered down, it can't be rationalized away in any manner. Jesus' words about human needs are certainly words we should live by. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I want you to say that to yourself the next time you leave your shopping center parking lot and there's somebody standing there with a sign. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Instead of being upset, respond the way that that God would. Respond to how Jesus did. Because human need, if you're taking notes this morning, there are three things, three fill-ins in your bulletin that you can fill in. Human need takes precedence over worship. Hosea 6.6, 6, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. There is no record in scripture of Jesus ever conducting a church service. But there is ample evidence that he fed the hungry, ministered to those who hurt, and risked offense to rescue those in duress. You can make a clear case that the ultimate worship of God is to rescue and restore those whom he loves. To assist humanity in experiencing the mercy of God. Church, it's our job to do that. So many times we depend upon the state or our government to go out and take care of those people in our communities that are homeless, to go to the homeless shelters and deal with those, those people to go to our borders. Listen, they do, our government, our law enforcement, they do what they need to do to protect us. But when there's a human need, we are called as the church to respond. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Human need takes precedence over ritual. Matthew 9, 9 through 13. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said this. Jesus heard them talking, and he responded to them. Jesus' words, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Much like in Malachi, the people here were grumbling. The grumbling was a little bit different. They were grumbling because of Jesus' choice of fellowship. He was cavorting with sinners, and the people didn't look right or know right or do right. In general, they didn't meet the criteria of those other people that were there judging them. But Jesus told them in no uncertain terms that their preferences were irrelevant to him. 
It wasn't the healthy but the sick that needed him and would receive his preferential treatment. And then he quoted these words, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I just can't help but think Jesus was more comfortable in the presence of those who were not evangelically house-trained than those who were. He wasn't impressed by those who knew all the unwritten rules. He was impressed by those who would suspend the rules in order to provide love to the hurting, to meet human need. Never forget this. And our culture is stealing this, and I know when I say it, you are going to cringe. I know it because I know what we see out, outside of these walls, but in here we own this. This is copyrighted for us. Never forget, God is love. That is the first and foremost way that he reveals himself to a dying and hurting world, by love. Would you repeat it with me? I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I've already read Matthew 12, 1 through 13. I'm not going to read the whole thing again, but I do want to pick up at Jesus' words. At the end of three, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, Something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. God's not impressed with our overtures of religiousness. But God takes note when we give a bottle of water, when it's unnatural or uncomfortable for us. Ladies and gentlemen, carry water in your car and hand it out like it was free to people on the streets who need it. The spirit of biblical law is that God knows no law other than that which answers the call to human need. Consider the story of the Good Samaritan. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And now I want to go back to the statue located at the mouth of the New York Harbor. The figure of liberty in New York City or in the New York Harbor, has just cast off the chains of oppression, which lay broken beneath her sandaled feet, and offers this same hope for all the oppressed people. It is a welcome sign to greet new immigrants. It is intended to suggest freedom and deliverance. Do not Jesus' words mean the same? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Is it not true that his mercy has set you free from the oppression of sin which shackled you? Can you not now, as a child of God, this morning through the work of Christ, stand with your chains of oppression loosed and lying at your own feet? Of course. That's the nature of the gospel. Nations and leaders have always rallied their citizens behind symbols and visual cues that trigger an emotional response. I can name two from our last two election cycles. Yes, we can. Make America great again. They can put those on hats. They can put them on t-shirts. They can talk about them on the news. But these things can be vague, even ambiguous. But if they are easily identifiable, they can, identifiable, they can unite a group. They can inspire an entire nation of people. These symbols are incorporated into the design of many a state capitol building. I've read a few for you this morning. 
City Hall has some. County courthouses in the United States. But there are none more recognizable than the Statue of Liberty. And yet, it's easy to take it for granted, to forget what she stands for. The words of this sonnet mirror the passion of Jesus. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. It's fitting that the statue in the harbor is referred to as Lady Liberty. She brings hope and freedom to those who land on our shores, even if they can't see her from where they land. In a more powerful way, Christ's words set men free, genuinely and completely free. This is the essence of Jesus' gospel, that we become compassionate and loving, that we become merciful. It is a telltale sign of a spirit-filled believer. Mercy is a telltale sign of a spirit-filled believer. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. In just a few moments, we're going to have a time of communion, and I want you to reflect on what you've heard from God this morning. Yes, it sounds like my voice, but God has a message for you, and I'm not sure what it is. It's going to be different for many of you than it is for me. Maybe it's exactly the same as the message God had for me when I was studying scriptures. Maybe it's a little different. I want you to reflect on that. Reflect on God's mercy that he's imparted to you, that he's given you. As we prepare for that, I think you can identify with one of three personalities in our Bible story. If you're taking notes, there's a place for you to circle it and take it with you. Remember this week, you either need to change or you need to grow and continue to do a lot of the same. Maybe you can identify with the Pharisees. They were rigid, intolerant, and convicted and convinced of their holiness. If so, Jesus has a word for you. Beware. You're in peril. Maybe you're a little stiff-necked this morning. Maybe you're, you're sitting up in your seat and you're thinking, this message isn't for me. I do pretty good with desiring mercy. I do pretty good with showing the world who God is. Maybe you can identify with the disciples who watched Jesus buck the system and dared to follow God's law of mercy. If so, God has a word for you. Go and do likewise. Continue. Go and do likewise. Church, we are called to gather together and to provide for the needs of the people in this building. And I think as a church, we're doing a pretty good job of that. At the end of today, we'll take a deacon's offering, and that will be an opportunity for you to give as the church provides for needs of people, to give financially as the church provides for the needs of people. I think we're pretty, doing pretty good taking care of people in here. We pray for each other. We lift each other up. People go on vacation, and we pray for safety. I think we do pretty good, but God has called us to more. God has called us outside these walls to be his truth and his love, to show his mercy to the people in our streets, to the people in our shelters, to the people at our borders. It's not our job to decide whether or not they get into a shelter or whether or not they come into our country. Somebody else does that, but it is our job to impart God's mercy. What does that look like for you? Go and do likewise. Maybe you can identify with a man with a withered hand. You come in this morning, you have a withered spirit. You're a little bit withered emotionally. You're a little bit spent. If so, God has a word for you. I long to restore you. That's what we're here for.
to pray for one another, to lift each other up. How can we help? Tell us, communicate with us. Let us know your story. Lady Liberty stands in New York Harbor to shine the torch of mercy and offer a life of freedom with shamelessness, boldness, confidence, and courage. That's us as we leave this place and go into this world. So as we go into a time of worship, by taking communion together, I'm asking you to stretch your withered hand, to ask God for his help, to ask God to show us the way as a church, how we improve this community we live in and the world that we're a part of. I'm going to pray, and then Pastor Michael is going to lead us in a time of communion. Father God, thank you this morning for your word. For the Old Testament, the New Testament, and even the word that is being written today, God, the word that is our culture and our church today. Thank you for the way that you live in us, through us, and for us, God. You've done so much. We deserve so little. Help us to be ministers of your gospel, ministers of your mercy, to the world that you've called us to. Outside of these walls, God, in this community, in this state, in this nation, around the world, help us to be hope for the hopeless. God, show us the way in Jesus' name.